Hey, hi, hello, welcome to episode 57, even though I didn't change that note in our things. This is episode 57 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. One day we'll get it right. I'm Keely Henninger. <laughs> and I'm Hillary Allen. At least we keep rem- remembering to hit record at the beginning of each of these. We have not yet forgotten that. So I feel like we're we're on we're on a That's positive true. roll. That's kind of a win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keely, you're out east right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had one of my best friends from home get married on Saturday. So we made the trip out east, got to see some family. And then as of now, I'm hanging out um, for another week or so to to get another interview done too, because I have one interview in person out here, um, which is rare. Not many med school interviews are in person anymore, but I have one. And so as of now, I'm going to take it. If Unless I get a couple more in the meantime that are at schools, I'd I'd rather, uh, I prefer. <laughs> well, that's exciting. Welcome from yeah. the, the East Coast, Pennsylvania girl in the house. Um, and then Hilly, I know that you're back running some. Are you still going over to Scotland? I know that that had originally been the plan pre, pre-toe break. Yeah. Uh, well, I, Ireland, they're pretty much similar. They're very rainy, lots of midges kind of an island. Um, <laughs> but yeah, actually I am, um, I'm still going to go there. So, um, I had some meetings with my, with my doctor and it's healing. It's, I can't do anything too crazy techie, but good thing this eco trail isn't technical. So I'm going to mm. try cool training, training run as I kind of get back into running and racing, um, later in the year, didn't expect it, but yeah, hopefully I'm going to do a race in December of this year. So fall nice. as well. <laughs> very, very exciting. I nice. think that, yeah, I mean, originally I think when we were dealing, you're dealing with like your kind of surgical injury stuff earlier this season, you were like, you know, if I don't race at all this year, that's the way the cookie mm-hmm. crumbles. And so we're excited to see you back pinning a bib on independent yeah. of, of any of it. So very, Thanks. very cool. Me too. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, one of the next times we chat, hopefully it'll be, we'll get to be talking about Ireland and running on yeah. hopefully nice loamy dirt surfaces. Yeah, how's everything a going bit. for you, Corinne? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh no, oh. you're good. <laughs> how's everything going for me? Well, boy, we can talk more about this in a little bit too. But the UTMB right now is stating that for elites to qualify for UTMB for 2024, we have to have a qualifier in by the end of the year. Um, so most people who ran 2023 UTMB have a qualifier. That's good. Still like there, most people are in the clear. If you qualified at all this spring, summer, et cetera, you're golden already. Um, but yeah, but those of us who either didn't have a qualifier, had a really old qualifier, um, had been grandfathered in via an injury, pregnancy, um, et cetera, or had been top three last year and then only needed to collect a stone this year and did not repeat as top three, we are all scrambling just a little bit. And we're trying to get them to extend it to like March, April timeframe. Um, but we won't know if they're going to extend it or not for a couple more weeks. And so I am currently planning to go to Kodiak in like oh, fun. a couple weeks to run a hundred K. So, yeah. uh, yeah, that's a uh, cool news, news from Lake Wobegon is that I'm going to go run hundred K in big bear, California, which was not on my 2023 bingo card. So yeah. Cause you're still planning to do UTCT 100 miler, right? I'm going to race at UTCT. I don't know if I'll do the hundred K or the hundred miler, mm-hmm. but I'll yeah. be there and I'll be racing. So, nice. um, either way, I'll I'm be going with Thailand. Thailand. Yeah. That's the way yeah. race I'm looking at Keely. Oh, fun. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like Toying a good one. Thailand. Punch. You get a little bit of. Western States action and a little bit of UTMB action. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, is it is the hundred mile the qualifier at at Thailand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a gnarly hundred mile too. Oh, yeah. Like, I've heard. Oh, yeah. Talking yeah. to, I'm sure you it's both have been talking to to Hannah Allgood. It's a yeah. not a very straightforward race course. I think mm-hmm. in the uh, the sense that it is a lot of kind of on trail running. Yeah, this is exactly. I just what like I, heard. I don't have stoke for like repeating my 2023 right now. So I'm trying to be like, what makes me excited? And bushwhacking kind of sounds more fun right now. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> nice. Uh, epic like, Thailand adventures yeah. for many people, hopefully, yeah, coming we'll down the pipeline. Um, yeah, a bunch of people went over there to do the 100K and the 100 mile last year, including uh, podcast favorite, Jenny Quilty. Um, <laughs> that was how she got into Western States last year. So we've got some people that we can ping about Thailand for you all. Mm-hmm. I am taking the much tamer route to uh, to the only race that fits in my calendar with UTCT like, <laughs> as a must right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's neither here nor there gonna run 100k gonna run 100k because there's only 10,000 <laughs> feet of climbing in the whole darn thing so oh, if you see me doing a lot of flat running that is why so uh, wait, the 100k at UTCC only has 10,000 no 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 at Kodiak. at Kodiak okay I was gonna say UTCT has more than that yeah but it's yeah. still a lot of running um like I'm not really worried about vert for UTCT either yeah um, just get in your like, mind that you're gonna have to do a rock wall scramble at one point oh there's I've already like done I've already insane. done that yep I've already it's so hard it's, yeah Oh, it's, it's okay. I, I remember it's... that was the one section I was like really bonking at. And Ryan Sands comes down the rock face because he's dropping out. And he's like, don't worry, Keely, this is the only technical spot. I'm like, I'm climbing on a rock wall. Like, of course this is technical. <laughs> yeah. I watched Drew Holman do an interval session on that <laughs> section of the trail last year when Sasha and Marzell and I were just out for an easy run. So yeah, I know, I know what lies ahead. I'm very familiar with the UTCT course. So I just remember doing that stuff at night. I was like, oh boy, like this is the thing. Yeah, it's gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, neither here nor there. We've got some adventuring to come, be it in Big Bear, California, Ireland, uh, (laughs) Cape Town, or Thailand. You'll see us somewhere again this fall, apparently, because the race season is not done yet um we do have some news to cover and some results to cover um some kind of cool stuff went down this weekend but yeah you're gonna see a lot of pros i think throwing down in a late season race if they don't yet have a qualifier so don't be surprised if you see some random random people show up at some kind of seemingly weird races in the next couple of months but before we jump into the news we have to give a shout out to the folks over at ag1 again they have been with us since the beginning (laughs) of this whole thing keeping us hydrated green juiced up minerals vitamins prebiotics probiotics which in this case is a symbiotic um helping me absorb iron every single day which i am enjoying immensely because it makes me feel a whole lot better if you also would like to try some ag1 you're going to go over to www.athleticgreens.com slash trail society and there with your first order you can get a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs which is a steal of a deal for any of you that are on the road in the near term mm-hmm. and i guess from there we got to slide into some news keely this feels kind of similar to the news we shared last time where it's just mm-hmm. like Read your receipts, people. Women's sports are on fire, and it's made me really, really excited. Starting with uh, Hillary, our tennis buff, um, Coco Goff's U.S. Open victory was so good. Was so, so good. Good. Oh I mean, yeah. I was there at the U.S. Open for a little bit, and um, I got to. You got to go it. to the U.S. Open. 
Yeah, I oh, went I'm there. so jealous. We I know. Went on such a tennis <laughs> kick. We watched the whole thing. <laughs> it's my favorite. Oh my it's gosh! So, so I I got to. It was insane. I was in. I wasn't in Arthur Ashe Stadium. So actually, okay. Coco Coco Golf was playing the night I was there. But I was in um, the Louis Armstrong Stadium. Mm. Stadium. And I watched like it was insane. Watch this this match that like it was a men's match that went until. 11 30 and then the women wow. had to play after that <laughs> mm-hmm. but like coco had some really big upsets and like mm-hmm. she's she was playing super well um 19 actually, years old right yeah like super young yeah. mm-hmm. and then i mean one of my favorite matches where she played wozniaki caroline wozniaki who took like who's ranked number one in the world yep. she took a four-year break to have two kids get married and then is back and was like killing it and so i was actually excited to see her lose to the tournament winner because I think she's like on a tear. So that was, uh, that was mm-hmm. amazing to see, but yeah, like this 19 year old with like insane poise and, um, yeah. she played this, yeah, this other woman who, what was her name? Sabalenka. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I watched Sabalenka play like one of her breakout matches like years ago at the U S open. So it was really cool to see her come mm-hmm. full circle. I think she won was it Australian open. Mm-hmm. Um, she's had a good year. Yeah. So she's, she's like yeah. a force. Um, she's so strong. Her, yeah, she's, like some of her hits are just so fast. She's so tall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, it was I really was, fun. It was so yeah. cool. So the yeah. big news coming out of it though, is that that match drew a record 3.4 million viewers, which is 1.1 mm-hmm. million more than Novak uh, Djokovic's win mm-hmm. as well. And it's a 22% uh, it's a 92%, sorry, 22% was the, the men also had an increase in viewership, but the women had an, a 92% increase Crazy. over the 2022 final, um, which is just like, it's the most yeah. single singles final ESPN has ever aired. Mm-hmm. It's time. so cool. Yeah. And I wonder if it's like part of it has to do with golf being from the US, but also like, holy cow, really, really cool. Yeah. And it was really good tennis too. Um, well, so this was, this is like, yeah, maybe, maybe I was going to say through the, through that she was from the U.S., like the viewership, right? But I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people, you have to purchase the tickets, the finals mm-hmm. before you know who's even playing it. So, um, obviously, but yeah, but we're talking, think, we're talking ESPN viewership. viewership. We're talking yeah, viewership of course. on of course. TV. So, yeah, so of, mm-hmm. of course that is because, like, yeah, seeing the, seeing the, right. And the she, locals. like, she's very well spoken for being so young. And I mm-hmm. feel like she really kind of like liked to speak out about her haters. And I think that's very rare for female athletes to defend themselves. And I was really, I was very impressed by her ability to not only stand up for herself, but articulate it in a way that made her sound like very smart and not like easily agitated, but just willing to stand up for herself. And it was mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. The quote, I think the quote towards the end of one of her uh, post uh, post finals interviews said, you know, people have been thinking that, that they're pouring water on my flame and it turns out they've just been pour, pouring oil on it. <laughs> um, and I was just like, dang, okay. It's <laughs> like this gal is going to be a force to reckon yeah. with. So that was very, very cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so Coco is the future. That was a good marketing bump for, uh, I think, New Balance put out some, had some timing on some some Coco yeah. shirts that went really, what really well. What was also really cool too is that the semifinals had a, also very young um u.s guy make it which was sweet yeah uh, who didn't make it to the finals no no he didn't make the semifinals he got beat by a um <clears throat> i think also 19 year old dark-skinned american who uh 
like did his breakout race or breakout match. He basically made like more money by making the semifinals in the U S open than he's made in his entire career so far. And it was like super cool to see him get to the semis, but then he had to play Novak and Novak beat him in the semis, but it was still really cool. Yeah. I think I, I'm forgetting Shelton, of course. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. He, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. People are like, wow, these two are really into tennis. <laughs> Dude, I love watching tennis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is my like, favorite sport. If you oh, haven't gosh. watched tennis, this is our this is our pitch for you to get really, really into it. But I think we have got to got to move on to another yeah. really, um, really cool bit of news coming out of women's sports as well, and that has to go over to the WNBA. Um, this is reported via the gist that the WNBA has its most watched regular season in 21 years. Viewership across the, its national TV partners, ABC, CBS, EPN, and ESPN2, was up 21% over the 2022 season. Attendance has been up 16% this year, um, averaging almost 7,000 fans per game, the most since 2018. Um, in total, they've had over 1.5 million fans in attendance. Um, the highest total attendance in 13 years. Um, Just talking about how it's a record-setting year for the WNBA across all national networks, the regular season reached over 36 million total unique viewers, the highest since 2008, and a 27% jump from last year. The All-Star Game was the most watched in 16 years, while the draft was the most watched since 2004. So just talking about this like re- Reemergence, reinvestment um, of the public in women's athletics. And I think we're starting to see that across sports um, when we're looking at kind of our women's professional leagues. And so those were some really cool numbers coming out of the WNBA that I saw just this past week. Yeah. And it's right after the big investment into the WNBA. So, you know, money helps. Yeah. Turns out, right. That's always the argument. Like, well, if women's sports were going to make money, then they'd get more viewership, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, you have to invest in the sport mm-hmm. to like increase viewership, to increase TV time, to increase coverage, et cetera. So it's this mm-hmm. cyclical investment that's really important. So that was really good to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the final note we had was some more UTMB stuff. I don't want to call it nonsense because it's not complete nonsense, but essentially she races Sophie Powers. The women's working group via the PTRA has had many meetings with UTMB. Um, to better support not just women, but kind of people from different backgrounds, um, adaptive athletes, et cetera. There's kind of a wide, a wide working group that all get that all gets hubbed under like UTMB's people initiatives. Um, but most recently on the women's side of things, they've announced that they're updating the UTMB index score in which m- women then aren't compared to men, i.e., you know, it's it's kind of not fair where like Courtney DeWalter's UTMB index is 850. Um, because it's time back from the leading male in many races, et cetera. So it kind of, it puts women at a disadvantage when it comes to getting things like car passes for your crew at races when 30 passes are given out to men and nine are given out to women, et cetera. It's all based on UTMB index. So they're reworking the UTMB index score to um, create kind of a more level index um, in which, you know, Courtney will then be recognized with the super high index score as well. And all women's index scores will be elevated because of that, because they'll be based, they won't be based on like time back from Killian Journey. Like, great, Mm -hmm. cool. You might be, you might be the second, the second female in the race, but when your time back from Killian is what matters or Jim, et cetera, that's not quite a fair ranking system. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're changing policies there as well and they haven't it hasn't actually come out on the website yet but i've seen kind of the initial reveal like reveal of it and uh 
you know, you got to place bets that Courtney DeWalter might have the highest ever UTMB index score ahead of the likes of Jim Walmsley and Killian Jornet. So we'll be keeping our eyes for kind of more official announcements coming out on that. Mm -hmm. And then they also recently announced, you know, being more thoughtful with um, women's like products on the course, period products, uh, more uh, female only toilets on course, changing rooms at aid stations where drop bags and crews are allowed, et cetera. Nothing like getting naked in the Cormier uh, gymnasium with cameras and there's nowhere for you to go type of thing. So there being a, there's some kind of thoughtful changes that are going, getting put in place for future UTMB finals, but also other UTMB World Series races that just kind of better takes care and shows support for the women who are getting to that start line, which will hopefully encourage more women to get to those start lines as well. But yeah, big kudos to the women's working group at the PTRA and Mm -hmm. um, she races and Sophie Powers because it would not, none of that would be happening without those women putting in countless hours, including like Esther Chillog um, and Katie Asmith are two really vocal members of that group that I like, I work with on other things. And so it's been really very cool to watch some of those updates come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's it from the news front. Um, before we get nearer to our meat and potatoes, we have to talk about race results from this past week. <laughs> Last time we spoke with you all, we we're like, nothing else happened besides UTMB. <laughs> um, but personally, a very, very short race th- that happened this past weekend was my most anticipated race of the season, I think, like from a fan perspective. And that was the Pikes mm. Peak Ascent as part of the U.S. tour for the um, Golden Trail Series, World Series. Um, just because the field lining up there was really, really, really good, including some like newer names, particularly on the women's side with like Allie Ostrander taking the start line for her first Golden Trail World mm. Series event. Cool. Sophia Lockley going up against Judith um, on a Gibson being part of this field, et cetera. Like there's like this really exciting future wave of trail crushers. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously Remy trying to go back after Matt Carpenter, Carpenter's ascent record that he missed the year before. Um, and the race is delivered in like a very, very <laughs> huge way. <laughs> yeah, that was, oh, that was so cool. I actually went on my long run on the weekend on um, Sunday and it was like a super clear day and you could see all the way over to Pike's Peak. Uh, it's always, I love it when that happens. And you could just, it's, it's funny. It's like the the south part of of the big mountains have a dusting of snow and all the Satwatch are totally dry. <laughs> yeah, there and there was snow up at the top of Pikes Peak yeah. in the like yeah. the post-race coverage because there's not enough cell coverage on the mountain mm-hmm. itself to provide live um live coverage of the event. But yeah, there's definitely snow up top and Remy Bonet did break Matt Carpenter's 30-year-old ascent record by like two um, minutes. I, yeah, I think it was like 60 seconds-ish. I yeah. think Mass was like 202 and was Remy's was two, two, hours. Oh, two hours and 20 seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it was just over 60 seconds was kind of the the difference there. But mm-hmm. remember, Matt Carpenter set that record during yeah. the marathon, yeah. not during mm-hmm. a pure mm-hmm. ascent of the, yeah. of the hill either. And well, then Matt was at the award ceremony so as cool. well to give Remy his, um, his award, which was, I think, very... Mm. Very yeah. cool. 
That's cool. Yeah. It wasn't it kind of projected that he was going to run that because he ran like a super fast Manitou incline. He said he broke his, he broke his, he broke his own yeah. record on the Manitou yeah. incline. Remy yeah, broke yeah, it yeah. last year as well and then yeah. didn't put <clears> together own, kind though. of the perfect yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he took another like 17 seconds off of it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then behind Remy, though, was Patrick um, Kipanego. Um, who was kind of thought to be like the next kind of the, the the other guy who could make a dig at this. He finished about four minutes back behind Remy and then Eli Hemming, who's putting wow. together just an absolutely stellar mm-hmm. season with great results at Montpellier Marathon um, as well, finished um, in third place. So as top top American male, um, Joe Gray, I think, managed to pull off a fifth place performance mm-hmm. there fifth. and just is like such a consistent beast mm-hmm. as, you know, he's. With a broken hand. Can't stop that man. Um, can't stop that man at all. On the women's side, Sophia Lockley and Judith Wider were neck and neck until like the final two-ish miles. They were going back and forth quite a bit. Um, and Sophia said that she waited for the two-mile mark to go and then just like dug as hard as she could, kind of launched mm-hmm. a late attack. Um, ended up winning by, I think, about four-ish minutes as well on the women's side, um, but really broke that that like broke apart. And then in third was Anna Gibson, the mm-hmm. young recent UW graduate um, from mm-hmm. the Teton Valley, uh, Jackson Hole area, um, signed with Brooks this oh, yeah. spring, um, running both on the both on the track and on the trail. So mm-hmm. third place finish for her there after we saw her break out on the trail scene back at Broken Arrow earlier this year. Um, and then my favorite surprise of the women's race was actually Alicia Vargo. Yeah, I forgot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They called her. World beware. Beware. Holy cow. Yeah. Mama is back. Mama Mm -hmm. three, I think now. Um, Just an absolute crusher. She'll be a name that many people who are newer to the sport can't place, don't recognize, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But she is fierce. And it was so good to Mm -hmm. see her throw down a seventh in what is a very, very good field. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, oh, and then, so cool. And then what I'm waiting to see is Ali Ostrander is, you know, prolific on YouTube, et cetera. I just kind of want to see, you know, like her take on it. This was the, the most competitive trail field she's lined up against ever. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just really curious. I think she's supposed to go to Mammoth as well. This will come out. How did she do? She finished 20th, like 30 okay. minutes behind um, Sophia. So something didn't go to plan there. I don't know if it was the altitude. It was not just, just not her day. Etc. I would have expected her maybe to be in the top. Fitness wise, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'd expect her to be more in like a top ten group. I know top she's 12. been training super hard, um, but yeah, to finish twentieth, I think was probably not the day that she was hoping for. So curious to see if she goes to Mammoth, like if she's healthy, etc. Um, but I think that she's a very anticipated person on the trail scene. You know, we've seen her run Mount Marathon. We've seen her run like on the junior team for uh, World Mountain Running Champs, etc kind of come out of her track, uh, her more full-time track career into trail in the past year, just very, I think, I think a lot of us want to see her perform super well and just kind of like, they did not go to plan with the ascent on, a, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. on Saturday. Yeah. So we'll yeah. see how Mammoth goes. This will come out after Mammoth, um, but she's supposed to race the 26K there cool. as well. So we shall nice. see. Mammoth is um, going to have a pretty good start line too. Mammoth mm-hmm. love have an insanely good start line because all the yeah. Golden Trail international athletes are staying over for it. Um, cool. And then some other U.S. athletes will be jumping in, I am sure. Cool. 
yeah. on the um, longer distance okay. side of the things. Run yeah. Rabbit was this weekend. Yeah. Um, lots of money to be thrown money. around at that race. <laughs> despite that, it doesn't get the fields I think it no. deserves. Um, unfortunately, it's just its proximity to UTMB draws a lot of folks um, that way for sure. But hot off of her Colorado Trail FKT, Tara Dower. East Coast gal. Crazy. Just she ran like a, the second or third fastest time ever on the run Behind rabbit. Courtney, basically. Course. Yeah. And the course has been modified a little bit over yeah. the years. And so I don't know if that's based on the old, old course or if that's on the newer course that's been in effect for like the last like two or three years. So, yeah. but she ran a really, really great time. She ran a really smart race. She moved up all day, did not go out super, super hot. Mm-hmm. Um mm. and then smart. It wasn't like it was actually kind of close between her and um Christy, who's a mammoth area um runner. Mm-hmm. I know Katie Asmuth and Danny Moreno are friends of hers. Um she's a mom, she's a nurse. Um cool. for yeah, for debut hundred mile, finished second there wow. to a pretty nice payday. And then Karen Holland finished third in that race. But mm-hmm. yeah, good good. And they season. pay out the top five, right? Pay out the top seven as long as there are wow. 30 starters in the, in that gender field. Holy cow. So I think they pay That's out the wild. top three to five independent of that. And they'll pay out as much as seven if there are 30 starters. Mm. So, and then there's also a team competition as well. Right. I know you can walk away with a good amount of money. With a good chunk of change. Yeah. And yeah. on the men's side, Dave Stevens, who is Canadian and won this race back in 2021, took the men's win. Um Fan favorite Jimmy Elam did not let Dave run away with it super easily. I think that race between one and two was also very close. Um, Jimmy's a Salt Lake City, I think, area guy. Good friends with like mm-hmm. Mike and He's Leah an and the whole crew. Ultra athlete. Um, but yeah, close battle there. And then Arlen Glick was well back in the early stages of the race and ran his way to a third, despite taking wow. what sounded like kind of a big fall and seemingly temporarily losing eyesight. What is this in race eyes? and eyesight? Courtney had no eyesight towards the end of this race, like four years ago. Which too. is why you see her put eye drops in her eyes mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm. at a race like UTMB. So you, you build up cornea pressure, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's more pronounced at high altitude races altitude. where the air is drier and then overnight and running. Yeah. You're in cold, cold yeah. too. Yeah. So it ha- yeah. It happens at UTMB. Well, cold yeah. affects happened- the dryness. So yeah. it um, happened to me at La Varedo for like 40 miles and I was so mm-hmm. confused. But, yeah. It yeah. happens to people at UTMB yeah. every year. They come into Cormier and they cannot see. Um, so yeah, it's basically a temporary like cornea mm-hmm. inflammation, essentially. And it helps so you see people wear, wear glasses. clear glasses. Yeah. yeah exactly. Clear glasses and eye drops to mm-hmm. keep your eyes hydrated. Um, but yeah, overnight mm-hmm. races. So run rabbit starts at noon. You're going to see it more mm-hmm. in races like that um, in those noontime or nighttime starts versus mm-hmm. like a... It was Lavarado, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Those nighttime that starts are mm-hmm. hard. Um, just quick shout outs from the rut. I mostly just want to give Bailey Kowalczyk a shout out for returning to the rut and taking the win there. Really good to see Bailey running, running smart, running healthy. Um, we're yeah, just kind of jump field too. Yeah, and I, I like a nice little field. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to kind of skip around a little bit. Jennifer Lichter, won the 50k for the third time ever after getting what was a GI bug at OCC and having to drop out there. So good to see her back there. It's a big North Face party, essentially. So I think most of the podium on both sides is is North Face athletes. Um, but yeah, those are the two really big shout outs I wanted to give out there. Also, Kelly Wolfer in the 26k finishing second behind Bailey and then Brittany nice. Charbonneau was in third. 
So good to see, good to see uh, Kelly back on a start line after I think needing a lot of time to recover after Lavaredo earlier this summer. So um, good to see her. I'm I bet that we see her at another race this fall. Um, just given probably wanting to qualify. Quick ladies shout outs um, mm-hmm. because that's that's our theme. Um, Casey Lichtag won I Am Tough over the weekend. And Can I do Jenny- another I Am Tough shout out quick? Yeah. What's your other I Am My Tough My athlete shout-out? Carly got fifth at I Am Tough as her first Oh, she was mile. crude with, yeah, uh, with Katrina. Awesome. With Katrina. I love them, Carly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> it's a good, it's a super, super cool race. Um, I saw that Emily Hoggood was out there pacing Hillary mm-hmm. uh, Matheson Yang around the course as well, which was pretty cool um, to see. And then Tianaway County 100, which is like a Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the hardest besides your probably the hardest non UTM or not, not UTV, probably the hardest non hard rock qualifying hundred mile, um, on the West coast. Anyway, um, they have, they have issues with getting people to sign up for it every year. Cause it's a hard mountain hundred in September when there are seven other hard rock qualifiers going on, including I am tough run rabbit, et cetera. Um, so unfortunately the race does not get the shine. I think it deserves cause it is a burly, burly event. Um, but Jenny Abeg, who, um, did that really cool high route in the North Cascades last summer with Caitlin Gerben. If you have not watched the video called the high route, um, you can find it over on YouTube. It's so cool. And Jenny yeah. Abeg did her first hundred mile, um, winning the Tianaway County 100 over the weekend as well. Oh, and then uh, actually pod, former podcast guest, Caitlin Jacobson ran Tianaway as well. I think finishing third female. So got to give a shout out, shout out to Caitlin as she's been one of our guests in the past. Um, last but not least, we have to give a quick shout out to the folks that raced tour, um, oh. <laughs> the tour de jantes over in, uh, and tour de glacier over in Italy. Um, what a, stupid was, was, crazy hard race i was gonna ask corinne i know we've talked about this before is this our retirement plan are we gonna do this like oh later? i'm gonna do tour in like the next three years for sure <laughs> okay never mind then there'll I'm be there'll be like an infant there'll be like an infant involved it'll be a whole thing no this is this is definitely happening in the near term for me um franco uh, coley of italy won his fourth tdg um breaking his own course record in a time of 66 hours and 39 minutes again that's a 330 kilometer route with like 25,000 meters of climbing. So it's a burly time out there. And then uh, the UK's Emma Stewart won the women's race in 82 hours and 21, 21 minutes. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's insanity. Uh, go over to the tour um, Instagram page and look at some videos. It's, it's wild. It's really, really cool. So I've got a soft spot in my heart for tour. Um, moving right along. We have to give one more ad shout out before we get into the meat and potatoes today, which is brought to us by inspiration from you all. Um, And that is we have to give a shout out to the folks over at The Feed. Since we're all racing again this year, you know that we are stocking up with snacks for training and sports nutrition that we're going to be taking on our runs and races with us. Um, We do that by going over to The Feed at www.thefeed.com slash trail society your literal one-stop shop for any nutrition product. I think that is currently available on the market. Um, if you go over to that link, the www.thefeed.com slash society, you can get a $15 feed credit 
to use quarterly. So $60 over the course of the year. Hilly, you have an important announcement to make about a cool new feed product. Can you tell us what that is? It looks like cookies to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is like the best thing. Cause like, obviously we like their real food. And like the last time that I, uh, and I was a little bit late in the last episode joining. So I joined for the feed part and I was telling you about my waffle sandwiches that I was bringing on my bike rides up a 14 er Um, but I've been trying out this new stuff is called fresh. Um, they're basically just performance cookies. They're basically just cookies. <laughs> um, so I can eat them. Like it's a really nice treat, like during a run um, or a ride, but it, actually like my favorite thing is kind of like, a like, as I'm drinking my recovery shake, <laughs> like just having either like half of a cookie then, or like even like part of a cookie before I run. It's just, it's so good. Full cookies all the time, folks. None of this half <laughs> cookie nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, kind of a new, a new product launch for them recently, which is kind of yeah. like a, a, it's a limited run of things. I eat, they, they sell out pretty quickly, but you can uh, go see it over on the homepage there and you can, you can have it's a half delicious. cookie, but I'd recommend the whole, whole thing. One. Just eat the whole thing. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So meat and potatoes, <laughs> I'm calling this trail 101. And I think this is going to be a recurring topic for us because while we've been around the trail running world and industry for a while now, and can get into this old habit of like, we love acronyms. We think everyone is on the same page as us at all times. We know that is not the case. And one of you actually reached out to us and said, hey, like, I've got some like kind of newbie questions and I'd love to have you guys answer them. Um, And so we'd love to kind of have you guys send us some more ask us anything style questions as well. And in the coming weeks, we can start answering them maybe in a a new segment, maybe in whole episode topics, um, but kind of themed around that trail 101 um, idea of like, just like getting down to basics and making sure that we can help fill in whatever's missing in your own trail running encyclopedia. So to start, we're going to talk about choosing and finding trail routes for day-to-day runs and long runs. And I wanted to start with some trail vocabulary because that was part of that question. And I just chose some random words that are trail themed for us to go over. Um, And maybe you have your own definitions for these at home. So uh, slide into our DMs and let us know if there's any other trail vocabulary um, specific to talking about the thing that we're running on slide into our dms with some fun fun new vocab for everyone but the first one in my mind was single track versus double track mm-hmm. who's got who's got a quick definition of single track versus double track uh yeah i guess i'll take it like i think about a single track is just sing, like single file like you have to go like one behind each other um double track would be it's almost like take a single track and another single track and put it like next to each other so two people can run side by side going the same direction but it, I like to think that as like a car could go through it there's be like yeah or like an ATV right mm-hmm. like I think you could you could probably you could put two bikes side by side two people yeah. side by side or a couple mm-hmm. people side by side and then yeah I think of them too like we'll refer to like what might be like an ATV Right. road like maybe it's not big enough for a car but it's like big enough for like an, a small off-road vehicle etc that you'd be like oh there's a bunch of double track on yeah. this run and that means that you've got some wider wider trail and it's generally in my mind it's like a nice running surface but it's not always a nice running surface yeah and it's not it's not a road right it's not just like complete there's actually like over it's a it feels like a trail because it's like it feels like there's like obstacles in in between the double track. Yeah. Or you live in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest and there's a bunch of like old decommissioned mm-hmm. forest roads. Mm-hmm. 
they make some quality quality i don't know but like i guess i'm also on the the like team of double track also being kind of manicured and just being kind of wide yeah except there is some quote-unquote double track on tam for example that we (laughs) refer to as like death cookies because there's just these chunky rocks on it totally yeah so it can be really technical or it cannot be too Mm-hmm. But yeah, so generally it's going to refer to like a width of a trail and then based on where you are geographically might depend on if it's if it's more or less manicured. Um, I guess kind of like the next one in my mind that I really liked was douche grade. I love this one. <laughs> I think we've made it a universal term at this point. Keely, can you define douche grade? <laughs> I don't know if I coined this, but I want to give myself the credit that I did, but I don't know. Um, I feel like I thought of this term back when I ran white river because the whole race is douche grade, but basically it's like an incline that is steep enough to feel like you're going uphill, but like not steep enough to warrant hiking. So you're mainly running the entire time and you get into this rhythm, but like you kind of want to hike, but you know, you shouldn't because it's just not steep enough to warrant hiking. And so it's Mm -hmm. douche grade because you're just constantly going up, but it's not steep enough to hike. (laughs) Yeah, I think that it's one of those things where when you're feeling really good and you're running up it, you're like, I am amazing. I am so strong. (laughs) I am crushing this hill. And when you feel tired and weak, you're like, why is this Mount Everest? Like, why is that? Or or why is this flat so hard? Because sometimes it's like a low enough grade where it even like appears relatively flat and you're like why is there's there's for example there's four miles when you leave valor scene or four kilometers rather when you leave valor scene during utmb or ccc where you parallel this road and you're like why are these four why is this 4k so hard and it's because it's slightly uphill the whole way but when you're feeling fresh that feels amazing and when you're not feeling fresh it is the worst possible incline because yeah you can't really walk it but you're i think that's what hell is like maybe (laughs) Just filled with that. Um, okay. Next on my list was kitty litter. Does anyone have a definition for what's why someone might refer to something as kitty litter on a trail surface? I mean, I have an example. Basically, it's in Colorado where uh, you have um, basically very fine little rocks. It's not it's not dust, but they're definitely rocks. And then you go around to switch back and like you like your shoot you just lose grip and you'd basically like skid out um yeah that'd be that's that's my experience with kitty litter so maybe that helps form a definition (laughs) yeah so you think of it right like what does kitty litter look like it looks like a bunch of like tiny rocks essentially it's not they're not they're not rocks that are so big that you can avoid them or go around them right it's kind of like on a flat surface it might be considered gravel but when kitty litter is a fine layer of something on top of a hard, otherwise hard, firm trail surface, you get that loose kind of skittery feeling where you might not have as much traction as you like. So either an uphill or a downhill where you just feel like you can't quite get purchase on the ground. It's because you've got that kitty litter lights like surface where no matter how big your lugs are on the bottom of your shoes, you're kind of SOL. <laughs> yeah, I'd never heard this one before, but I like it. Yeah, yeah nah. I mean, yeah, in the front range, I feel like we get it a lot, especially in the heat of summer because it's so dry. Or out. then we get mm-hmm. like the monsoon season in Colorado, like in July and August, and we get like afternoon thunderstorms. And so it like 
washes away like all the kitty litter and puts it on top of like the actual like big rock steps that we have and then you run on the rock and then you just basically it's like ball bearings on that so you have to be really careful so you yeah, don't skid out I, i've heard, in the bike community i'll oftentimes hear them talk about like ball bearings on concrete and that's yeah. the same sort of sensation as, as kitty litter essentially yeah. you've got a really firm surface with like a very fine rocky surface on top of it so you just don't get great traction yeah this is what I, I feel like, like we're this. doing a spelling, a spelling bee where I'm going to be like, and use it in good. a sentence. Um, <laughs> okay. The next one we, I feel like this is like, we use it on Tam a bunch um, in yeah. the Bay area, but baby heads. I love this one. It's so baby visual. heads. I'll, I'll kick off baby heads. It's a little, the visual is probably not great. We call them softballs <laughs> or apples or something too, but essentially rocks in which or death cookies people call them death cookies on like one specific trail on tam but essentially rocks that are about the size the size of, the, of a softball or in that case a baby head mm. in which it's just really hard surface to run on because it's not like they're not flat they're very like you're trying to avoid them so you don't roll an ankle they're generally loose too they're not like firmly planted into the ground um but yeah you might you might hear someone refer to that truck that a trail of having a lot of baby heads on it. And that's what they're referring to. They're referring to a, a size of a rocky surface in which making downhill or uphill progress can be very frustrating. Mm. Yeah, I would say like baby heads. Um, yeah, it's basically just like like softballs, but they're like the big rocks that are movable. It's really hard. Um, I mean, Leadville 100 mountain bike and the mm -hmm. run have a lot of those. And of those. It, it actually makes it very hard and technical running because mm -hmm. it's like a workout for your ankles. Like I'm thinking like mm -hmm. one of the riverbed descents and even speed go in the 50 K on that backside of, um, of, I'm going to say load peak, but that's not the right one. Cause we just talked about the rut <laughs> of, uh, I forget which one it is. Um, but then it, it's and then for mountain biking like even going uphill or downhill like you lose your momentum when you hit it because it's like it, everything's moving underfoot yeah, and you'll under see a tire them, yeah you'll see them like on um on washes for example like you'll see them in an area where like a lot of water moves down through it a riverbed is a great example um but essentially on an uphill for example it might be a grade where you'd otherwise be able to run but because of this rocky surface because of the baby head-esque nature of it you might actually find that it's easier to hike for example because it's just like you're losing purchase you're you're rolling off of these rocks and it's easier to maybe hike a section where you are losing momentum otherwise hmm. okay the next one on my list was tacky and i don't mean i don't mean your tacky I'm talking about tacky as in a trail surface. Who wants to take a swing at tacky? I, I mean, it's what yeah, it sounds like. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's like really good trail conditions where you're actually able to stick kind of to the ground. Without sliding, right? Like I uh -huh. think of like tacky mud where you have grip, but you don't slide. Mm. Yeah, it's sticky. It's like a okay. night, but yeah. I think it's generally positive. I think it's generally yeah. like a positive stickiness. So it could be, it could be wet and it could be, it could be mud, but it's mm -hmm. like, it's dry enough that you have this sticky traction quality to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think of it more from a mountain bike lens of like when you get like a, just a little bit of rain on trails to oh, get yeah. them just a little bit tacky. damp, yeah. then they're so tacky. You just can fly and there's not like dust that you're... <laughs> Yeah, I totally. I, I completely, I think, yeah, definitely. I would think cycling, cycling term as well. And I say um, fly loosely because I'm not that fast. No, but I think tacky is a quality that we can, we can talk about on the trail surface too. Cause we've definitely seen where 
I've run with Keely from her house when there's been more rain than tacky, a tackiness level. Oh, yeah. It goes from it goes from tacky to very sloppy very quickly. <laughs> yeah. um, that's when you break out. We'll have to do a, a shoe vocab day and talk about lugs and millimeters. But yeah, you need the big, you need the soccer cleats on those mm-hmm. days to stay upright. So speaking of the opposite of tacky, what would greasy be in reference to a trail quality? I would the just, surface is greasy. I immediately think um, that I've fallen and I have greasy mud all over me. Yeah, I think of it in like rocks, like rocks yeah. and bridges. Ah, I mean, this yeah. is my PNW lens, maybe a little yeah. bit. But if you have ever run in California or Oregon or Washington, and maybe the East Coast too, you probably have apprehension over wooden surfaces. Mm-hmm. In particular, because when they are wet or damp, they get greasy, in which it's not muddy. It's not sloppy looking, right? It's it's just enough moisture on a surface, like on a rock surface, like a big flat piece of rock or a bridge, a wooden bridge, for example, where it, it becomes greasy from that moisture and suddenly you no longer possess the quality of traction on that surface. I have eaten shit so many times on a, on lightly damp bridges for that reason. Mm-hmm. I'm only Yeah, do not effort. trust the bridges. Oh, yeah. And like the moss, right? It's like I'm not used to that as much um, here. And I remember the first time I went out and like running in the PNW to meet like the Brooks team. And I just like literally face planted because of like a Rudy thing that oh yeah, you know, obviously didn't yeah. have grip. <laughs> yeah, you learn you learn that on the mountain bike too. like roots. You're like oh, your yeah. tires have to go a very specific direction across them because the same thing. It's like when they're greasy, when they're wet. Um, so it's one of those things that can catch you off guard because you're not looking for mud or ice or something. It's just like a, this damp dampness to a hard surface that no longer creates any form of traction. Okay. The last one I had on my list for today was vertical gain. And this is important in reference to trails because we'll talk a little bit about that in this upcoming section. How would you guys define vertical gain from a vocab standpoint? Uh, anything going uphill. I would say it's the amount of vert that you gain in a run. So it's the amount of elevation gain that you climb. Um, and so a lot of people like to just say how much they climb. It doesn't mean total elevation change. Mm-hmm. So it's just the gain. So like if I say oh, I'm going for a 50 K with 10,000 feet of climbing or 10,000 feet of vertical gain, that means the run climbs 10,000 feet cumulatively over that distance. So that's what I think of for vertical gain. Yeah. And I think of like, as we kind of take this towards like how to choose and find trail routes, vertical gain might be something that you look at accumulatively over the course of an entire run or route. And it can also be, you can even look at it in vertical gain per mile. So if you're trying Mm -hmm. to like match a long run or a hill climb and a workout to something similar to a race you might have coming up, you might be looking at, oh, I know my race averages 200 feet a vertical gain per mile. And then you can like replicate that in your training run by multiplying it out, say by, say it's a 10 mile run, right? So all of a sudden it's going to be, okay, I'm going to be looking for 2000 feet of vertical gain in my 10 mile route. So we can think about that vertical gain term a little bit as we bridge into how the heck do you figure out what trails and routes you're going to run on (laughs) day to day. Um, So to start this off, the theme idea kind of circles around this notion of like, while we're, while we have a lot of experience on the trail, we're, we've all experienced like showing up somewhere new and being unfamiliar with the running routes, the trails around us, et cetera, and having to put together 
a day-to-day running route or a long run or a workout run route. And so that's kind of how we're going to approach it. And hopefully that is helpful for those of you who might be new, not only new to the area, but new to trail running in general, trying to figure out what you're going to do day in and day out. So I guess I'd love to start with just kind of like, where do you all start when you hit the ground somewhere new when it comes to trying to find where you're going to go for your afternoon run or your run tomorrow morning? Yeah, so I don't, I mean, Strava is a good place for me to start. Um, Like either if I know friends um, who are in the area or um, even friends of friends, like if I don't know them and kind of seeing a route and kind of like looking at the, um, like the vertical gain of a run that they've done, like proximity to me. Um, or if I don't know anyone, Strava has a really good like route finder, like common, they have like a heat map of like common routes that people have done. So that's a good place for me to start. Usually it's where I always start. I do like a little bit of research um, pre-landing, <laughs> uh, pre-arrival of the destination. So I kind of have a general idea, especially like when I'm camping, like where I, can I like camp close to the trailhead. Um, so it doesn't involve a lot of like, um, you know, moving parts if, especially if it's in a new place. Um, and then if I, you know, like hitting up people that I know so that I think it's one of my favorite things if people come into town, I can kind of show them my favorite routes, uh, and like kind of doing the same for, for, uh, meeting up with friends. Nice. What about for you, Keely? I definitely start with Strava. I'll look at like the heat map sometimes though, and then find some like segments that are close to me. And then I'll like creep in who's ran them recently so that I know that like the route is passable within like a recent date. And then I'll like click on those runs and kind of like, you know, copy the route and then go run it. Um, or I like also like to kind of reach out to the community sometimes just because I feel like the trail and ultra running community is really great and also lives in a lot of different areas. And so sometimes I just put an Instagram post out and be like, Hey, does anybody want to go for a run like in this area? And I know there's local trail runners who are like always willing to show you the trails. Um, just because I know sometimes, especially in places that have, you know, more wildlife than normal, um, more like difficult terrain than normal. It can be really intimidating to go running by yourself, even if you do have a route. And so sometimes I just reach out because I'd rather run with someone who knows where they're going. And then you're always feeling a little more confident when you're running with someone else in a new place, because then, you know, if you do come across a bear or a moose, you feel a little bit more confident having someone with you than, than being by yourself. And so I've had a lot of athletes ask me about this recently because they've been traveling to really cool places, but they're with, you know, their family or somebody who doesn't necessarily run and they're, they easily get scared. Right. Cause like I would too, I don't want to run across a grizzly bear in Alaska by myself. Um, so don't, don't hesitate to kind of reach out to local community, creep on different local run groups and like go with people because obviously like that makes it a lot easier for you too. Yeah. And there's really forums around like a local running club um, or like for this is just an example that I've seen recently. Like we have our free trail Slack channel um, and there are like one of the sub channels in there. You could be like, hey, like I'm traveling too. like I helped someone with some routes for Bozeman a couple months ago. They're like, hey, I'm going to be in Bozeman around this time. Like what, you know, like looking looking at runs that are, you know, within a 20 minute drive of this area, et cetera. And because I've run there a bunch used to live there I like was able to provide them with a couple really good options and then also being like oh you should also check out like this Facebook group or this like or you could reach out to this run shop etc if they're doing a group run so it's like all of a sudden you can kind of piecemeal 
getting some of that outside advice, or someone might even say like, Hey, actually I'm going to be there too. Or I live in Austin or I live in San Diego. Like when you're going to be there, like I would love to take you for a run. Someone reached out to me recently saying they're going to be in Seattle, um, via free trail like next week. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to be out of town, unfortunately, but like, you know, this is what I'd recommend type of thing. So it's like, yeah, I think it's, the friends of friends, the forums can be really good because it, it gives you a subset of a community in a specific area that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So I know there can still be some stranger danger involved in that, but I think starting to source some of that information can be a helpful first step. And same goes for if you're living, if that's, if you're just new to trail running and you're, and you're looking at your area locally, right? Like that's that group run or a small, um, from a, from like a running shop or, um, a women's running group, et cetera, there that mm-hmm. that doesn't exist everywhere, but it exists in a lot of places. And that'd be kind of the first place that I would start to put out feelers locally. And then yeah. you'll find your people from that run group to start mm-hmm. to, we've talked about this with like finding friends. That's kind of the like, take that, take that find a friend approach mm-hmm. a little bit there. Yeah. And don't be afraid to like reach out to people on Strava either. I know that sounds kind of creepy, but like, especially like girl to girl or guy to guy, I think that's a little less creepy. I've met some really good friends on Strava because when I moved to Portland, I didn't know anybody. And I ran by a couple girls once that were running trails and I'd like found them on Strava and was like, Hey, like I'm new, like want to run sometime. (laughs) Like they're some of my dearest friends. So it was like totally worth it, but it was felt a little creepy, but like I feel like especially when it's like your similar age, maybe same gender, make it a little less like weird. Um, it's a good way to like get someone to show you the trails and also like make you feel welcome to a space. And I would say like if I got someone to reach out that way, I would probably not feel weird about it. I would be like, oh, yeah, I'll take you off for a run. Like if you're new to town, you don't know where to go or whatever. Sounds mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Use the friend, friends of friends approach too, I think is, uh-huh. is good. You might not know anyone locally, but you might know someone else who knows someone locally and mm-hmm. maybe they know someone else who is local and has the same schedule as you, et cetera. There's all these little factors that have to play out. And then I guess the next step, you know, or I'm, tr- I'm trying to think about the next step, right? So once you've got an idea, right? Like, Ooh, I'm going to run at Tiger Mountain from the Red Town, you know, the Red, the Red Town trailhead all of a sudden, like, what are your next steps to kind of like start to put together more info about that, that, um, that route. Is it, you know, downloading a map? Is it check? How do you check trail conditions? What kind of weather factors should you take into account? I mean, I liked what Keely said about, um, checking recent history on the runs. I've done that too, to see if it's like, you know, passable, right. Or people have, have done it if it's in for the season. I know I do that a lot, even here, if it's a route I've run before, just like to check like snow conditions and people kind of write like mini trail reports on Strava or something like this. Um, but yeah, the first step that I do is I always download it, mm-hmm. um, the GPS file. I do it in like multiple places just in case like accuracy or if it doesn't work. So I, one of the two places I downloaded on is Gaia and then um, on my actual Coros watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting comfortable with a mapping app of some sort, I think is really, really smart from a safety standpoint. I guess is what I would say. Like it just takes some time. Is it if it's Onyx or Gaia or any other form of, or putting it on your watch, like having that practicing that skill. Um, and even like REI, for example, like offers classes on mapping and that kind of stuff. Like these things can be sought out. Um, but having that comfort and familiarity with like how you understand where you are in space on a map, I think is really good. Even if it means you're, you're going to take 10 minutes during your run to do that, to reorient yourself kind of over and over again, I think is a big thing that I've had to, it like being comfortable and confident in that greatly increases my comfort of being out alone 
in a new area, for example, just because it's like, I know where I am on the map and I know how to get myself back to where I started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I basically will echo all of that. Um, And then I'd say, I also look at like other trails that are nearby as like alternatives and just kind of like try to get a lay of the land before I go, especially if it's like a fully new place so that I'm not out there looking at my map the whole time just because that can be kind of annoying to do on a run. So I try to like at least look at the map beforehand, look at the surrounding trails, get a lay of the land so that I don't feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere um, so that I'm not like having to check the map every, you know, quarter mile and feel like kind of stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Just once again, it's that familiarity, right? And like, and maybe it means just like, I'm going to plan in an extra 10 minutes because I know that I'm going to take a little bit more time as I get to know an area. And then as I get to know an area, I'm going to get that time back because I'm going to know that, oh, if I take a right on this trail, it's going to bring me back to the trailhead sooner. Or, oh, I actually have an extra 20 minutes today. So I'm going to, I can take this trail and go out a little bit further, et cetera. So I think that that is, that's a super important factor for sure. I dig it. Okay. I think the next piece, and this kind of ties back into that vertical gain idea is like, how do you go about understanding the terrain on that map, right? Because when you're, when you're routing it, you're like, this is a flat line on a squiggly, you know, this is a squiggly line on a flat surface. And we know that while our maps might be 2D, the terrain is actually 3D. So I'm wondering what you take into account when you're putting together a weekday route or what you might be taking into account when you're looking for a specific workout um, route. And then also kind of looking at long runs as well. Like, how are you thinking about um, understanding the metrics behind the route, right? Like if you're using Strava, for example, or Gaia, and you've mapped it, it's going to give you some metrics on the back end of that. Like, how are you taking that into account? Or how are you seeking out specific metrics to get the run you want? Yeah, I mean, that's really, it's good, because obviously, every trail is not created equally. And um, even if, if like, you know, some metrics I would look at is like percent grade of the trail, to see how steep it is, right? Because that could maybe, um, and also you can look at the times that people run on it to get a general gist of how long the the route will take, right? But even if something isn't necessarily super steep, it can be really technical and it can, you know, put the pace down, right? And you might have to hike it, like how we just mentioned with, you know, baby heads on a douche grade, like you might end up hiking it just because you don't really get the tackiness um, of, and like the ability to run uphill. Um, but there, those are the metrics that I do or kind of like asking around, but sometimes, you know, you don't always know, you kind of have to have a sense of adventure kind of going out there and find, finding it out. I, I feel like I'm less specific when I'm just doing a run, but if I'm, you know, doing a trail run that, uh, sorry, a tra- like a workout and I want it to kind of be able to run uphill for like hill repeats or something, um, or I'm trying to do a faster pace run, right. Then maybe, um, something I've done is try to like, look at the, like, uh, the Gaia map or different maps to see if it's more of like a fire road versus like a single track trail. Um, but yeah, it can mm-hmm. actually be pretty, pretty tough to, to figure out all those details, especially in a new place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's like a safe rule of thumb. Well, I guess there's two things. Strava does start to learn about you a little bit. And so I'd say sometimes when I find a route that I want to run, it does estimate like how long they think it's going to take you. Um, and I think that's relatively accurate, especially for me for running. It's not accurate for me for biking just because I do mostly mountain biking. And so it always thinks I'm going to go really slow on my road bike. Um, but um, 
for running, I think it's kind of accurate. I still built in like a 20 minute buffer just cause you never know. Um, but if you're like brand new to trails, I would say like you kind of want to just like assume it's going to take a lot longer than a road run would. And so like, say you're used to running roads and you're running at like eight minute pace on roads, but you want to go run a 10 mile loop that's trail that has like, you know, a modest amount of climbing, we'll say like 2000 feet, you should probably not assume it's going to be the same speed as a road run. So like, instead of thinking like, oh, it's probably gonna be eight minute pace, I would probably go on the side of like thinking it's going to be closer to 12, 13 minute pace, and just plan for that amount of time. And then, you know, if it's faster, that's great. But like, kind of just give yourself an extra buffer, especially for like route navigation, different kinds of technicality of trail, and all of that. Um, but yeah, I'd say like, I'm similar to Hillary. When I'm planning a route, I think about like, what's the goal of the run? If it's an easy run, then I don't really look for a specific vertical gain. It could be flat. It could be a little bit hilly. But if I'm training for a specific race and I want to hit that like feet per mile ratio or length of climb, that's like maybe similar to a run that's going to be in the race or good for a workout, then I'll start to really look into the nitty gritty of the route. And, and that, that like, gets a little more nuanced. You might have to like go searching for segments that are like a climb that might take 15 minutes and then piece together a route that uses that segment somehow by looking at other runs that have gone through that area. Um, and so it can get as, as nuanced as you want. Um, but I will say that like, you know, it can also be just simple and it doesn't have to be this intimidating thing because if you're starting out and you just want to get out on a trail, you can just pick a trail that has a modest amount of elevation gain and then just go out and try to do, you know, a four mile loop or something like that on trail and see how that feels. Yeah. And I think it's like understanding the purpose of that run too. So say you're doing an interval session, right? And say you're doing short intervals, like one to three minutes. You're like, okay, like I just need to find a one minute hill, two minute hill or a three minute hill. And then what, and you can like utilize Strava or like a, you can start to guesstimate that a little bit as far as like distance and vert goes. And then all of a sudden, you know, you just have to figure out your warm up and your cool down and you're just going to repeat on that one hill. I've definitely spent a lot of time looking at hill length um, to find like the ideal, ideal um, spot to do a workout, particularly if it's like, I've lived in places where I've been very fortunate to have like really long mountain roads, for example, that are going uphill the whole time. So I can do the entire workout uphill and just have like a really long downhill cool down. But for the most part, that's not most of our realities. And it's like, we're going to be repeating potentially like a much smaller hill. So looking for a hill that matches the length of your, of your needed interval, for example, if you're going to be doing those intervals uphill, um, or if you're gonna be doing them through an urban area, I just look for uninterrupted running, i.e. where it's like, I know that I can go for one to 10 minutes without having to hit a stoplight or a stop sign, for example, from like a safety standpoint. Um, and then I think the last piece there that you guys touched on as well is just going in knowing that if I'm coming from the road and I'm coming to trail, that everything's going to just take a little bit longer. Um, and I think it's really important not to get hung up on pace because it can be really easy to be like, well, this, you know, this 12 mile run should take me an hour and 45 minutes or two hours or whatever it is. And that 12 mile run might take three hours mm -hmm. or three and a half hours. I routinely run, you know, a lot of my runs in the Seattle area average 12 to 13 minute miles over the course of the run, just because we got a bunch of really slow terrain, be it technicality or um, it being really steep uphill, for example. So understanding kind of what you're looking for and that it's just going to be a little bit slower. But yeah, I think that vertical gain understanding of like, is it one big climb? Is it a bunch of little climbs? And you can start to piece that together both via the elevation profile on something like Gaia or um, on Strava. And I think that those are uh, good, good metrics. Uh, that was 
Hillary's stomach, but I think it was just a I'm dog. Sorry. It's a little, it's a dog. <laughs> I'm sorry. Love it. He was, he was yawning and he just woke up. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Do you have a dog? No, I'm just, he's just babysitting for the day. Oh, we love he's a it. Little, I mean, you can see him. German short haired pointer. Can you see him? Oh, he's so cute. For oh, those gosh. of you who are not watching this, Hillary's now being attacked viciously with kisses by a very cute German short hair pointer. Um, okay. I think we've got kind of a good, good take of like kind of and what you got you're my looking headphones. For. Oh no. Um, what you're looking for. Generally speaking, I guess kind of the last couple of questions I had um are more like inclined towards safety. And so I'm wondering what are some of the essentials you make sure to carry with you on these runs? Maybe both for a short run, like your day-to-day run. What are, what are the, what's the essential or the essentials from a safety and well-being standpoint you're taking with you? And then on a long run, how does that um, change or evolve just because you're going to be out maybe longer or in a more remote area? Yeah, I mean, for a short run, I feel like I always take my phone. Um, if it's like less than an hour, we'll say like my essentials are really just phone. Um, and then I'd say runs that are getting like longer or more into the wilderness. Like I always take either a handheld or like a pack and take water, take extra water, take a filter. If you're going into the back country and then always bring like food that you think you'll need for the run. And then always pack like two extra just in case it takes a lecture, a little extra time. And then I'd say like when it's particularly remote and it's also like different seasons where it's not always really really hot you I always pack an extra jacket um and then if it's a really long run I'll sometimes pack like sign it kind of UTMB style and pack like extra sports bra extra top extra jacket and a headlamp in case like things really go awry and you all of a sudden find yourself running in the dark and you need a light um And then the last thing that I'm really bad at that I try to do is always charge my phone before because I typically don't. And then my phone's notorious for dying and then I have no phone. (laughs) So like I always try to charge it on my drive to the trailhead just so that it's fully charged when you start. Because sometimes when you're like toggling in and out of different maps and you don't have service and you do have service, it just like kills the battery faster. Um, So those are kind of my go-tos for that kind of stuff. Hillary, what about for you? You're muted. We can't hear you. I muted it for the doggo anyways. Ah, sorry. Uh, so I mean, to, to basically echo what, what Keely said, um, I always, and then I always put my phone in, in airplane mode actually, just so like, I don't drain the battery. So I can, I can still, if I have the map downloaded, I can kind of still look at it. Um, but another thing that I have, um, is this, it's kind of the same as like, a we've heard like a spot tracker. Um, but something I always bring with me into the backcountry. Um, there's this new device I've been testing out. It's like with by Motorola, but basically if your cell phone doesn't have service, you can still, um, as long as you have the app downloaded, you can still send messages basically like through um, via Bluetooth, like through the, through satellite actually through this device. So it's actually really good. So I can kind of like tell people where I'm going and then, um, you know, they can, I can send check-ins or if anything were to happen, there's like an SOS button. Um, but yeah, I think the most important thing is like, food, water, and layers. Like you never know weather can change so drastically. Um, uh, you know, anywhere where you are, um, especially if you're kind of going to a more remote area. Um, I have been bringing this like on my long runs, even in the front range, just to like kind of practice because all of my races are going to have kind of like a heavy pack with mandatory gear. So it's something I just bring with me, even if I don't necessarily 
need it or use it. Yeah. Stephen and I both now have our own um, Garmin and Reach Minis that will carry on long, long outings um, for that very reason. It gives us the ability to send a text via satellite and also um, kind of pre-program text to like, hey, I'm okay. It's just taking long or like kind of like those, those, those initiated things out to your key emergency contacts. Um, as well as being able to get text out in general or SOS, heaven forbid, something goes really, really wrong. The ability to SOS. If I'm on a really long run in the backcountry, um, I will also, if I'm running with a group in particular, we will kind of divide and divide and conquer on backcountry first aid. And that's like pretty basic stuff. It's like an emergency blanket. Um, it's a like a small splint, it's a bandage, et cetera. So we'll oftentimes like pick and choose a little bit and of, of knowing like someone in our group of three or four is carrying X, Y, or Z thing. Um, someone else is carrying an inReach or something similar, et cetera. So you can kind of d- parse out some of that um, amongst a group of people. But yeah, those backup calories, that backup head or the 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 headlamp just in case, the rain jacket just in case, because you'd rather have it and not need it than really need it and not have it. Um, and then I think the other big thing too, is just telling someone where you're going to be. Um, Mm -hmm. I do this all the time for people. I say, Hey, like I am going to this location. Even if that's a text to a friend who's not in the area, I'll text them to say, Hey, I'm going for a run here. Um, I, I, I will, I will be out by this time. If you don't hear from me by this time, this is the next step type. Just like some like loose stuff so that they know that I've come out from a long run somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. just from like a safety standpoint, right? We don't want anyone to be stranded out there. And that sounds kind of dire and scary, but it's um, it's just, you know, little common safety things that we think are important for anyone that's getting out into the backcountry on longer and longer runs as you come over to the trail side of things. And then the last one I had was that, have any of you guys experienced a, a bail? And I we call them proud bails in our household of like when you're on a route and it just is like not going not going right. And you've got to make a make a decision to turn back or to alter your route. Hilly, do you have something like that? Oh yeah. I have plenty of those. And I think it can be more, it can be like weather-based. Sorry. <laughs> you hear the doggo. Um, okay. It can be more weather-based, but also like I've had some where it's just like mentally, like I didn't feel psyched to do the route. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I remember in particular, like there was one, it's like a, like the four pass loop outside of Aspen. And it's like a pretty committing loop. Like once you're back there, you're back there. And, mm-hmm. um, the weather was okay. It wasn't like bad, but it, but I just wasn't feeling it and kind of made it to up going up the first pass. And you're like, it was like, okay, I'm going to do a shorter day. And like gave myself, I was like kind of in the area, gave myself a couple of days and then went out and did it when I felt more mentally prepared. But I think that's, it can be hard, but it's a, uh, I definitely tend to, to listen to those moments when I actually feel, don't feel mentally psyched to do it. Cause I think that's when like the ankle twist and like the silly things can happen and you kind of are out in the back country and like it can turn into a long day real fast. Yeah, that's a really important note. Keely, have you had to bail on anything big or small? Mm, I mean, totally, but I'd say like I don't do quite as many adventurous runs as as you guys do. So I feel like I've not really had any things that I've had to bail off of from a weather perspective. Like I don't summit that many mountains. And when I do, I do them in the summer. So I have never ran into anything like that. But I, I'd say like I would echo what Hillary says. I've had a lot of times where I've set out to do like a really gnarly route and I have like a really visceral feeling of like not doing it. And like the one time I've done it, I've like gnarly, gnarly messed up my ankle. So now I try to listen to that visceral feeling and I don't even know what it is really, but 
I think we sometimes know like either we're our bodies aren't ready for it. Like we're, we're, we're pushing through something we don't need to, or like, we just have like lack of lack of stoke or readiness for the root. Like something tells you that you're not really ready. And I feel like you kind of got to listen to that. Um, and then I'd say in a more extreme fashion, like I think a lot of people who do get stuck in like avalanches and that kind of stuff. I think there are some people who say they had a feeling that it was going to be maybe a little dangerous and, that they wish or they should have listened to that. And so I think we do have a sixth sense in a way where we're like, eh, let's pump the brakes. And uh, I think you should listen to that. Like no run is worth your your life or even just like an injury or something that's unnecessary. Yep. And I think the like on the less extreme end of that too, it's just like there's some days where it's worth pushing through that mm-hmm. sensation or that maybe it's fatigue, et cetera. Like, oh, I don't want to do this. And then there are days where it's like, really not worth it. And I tell athletes to like, just, just try the warm up. Like mm-hmm. if, even if you, like if you're sitting in the trailhead, dreading this workout, just try the warm up. give yourself 20 minutes. And if it's not better in 20 minutes, like turn around and run back to the car type of thing versus mm-hmm. like, um, just, just trying to get people out the door. For example, I've definitely bailed out of workouts, you know, an interval or two in, or I've bailed out of a long run or a run, you know, 20 or 30 minutes in just because my body said no. And I think it's important to recognize that like pushing through anything, be it fear, fatigue, et cetera, there, there are moments to like extend your limits. And then there are days where it's really not worth it. So I think it's important to kind of listen to that gut and then have people that you can bounce those sensations off of, right? Like have that conversation with your coach or a training partner or a friend or someone in your support system too, to kind of work through why you felt the way you did. Um, just so that you can kind of like know, you know, was there something that we should have changed next time type of thing? So yeah, those are the bales. They can be really big and they can be really small. Um, I think we're going to end it there for our trail specific 101 stuff for today. Hopefully that painted a picture of how we go about finding trails and routes for daily runs and long runs. And I think we've got some society slamming to do before we let you go. Um, Keely, I'm wondering if you want to, or Hillary wants to read this first one and then I'll take our, our last one for today. Yeah. Hillary, you should go for it. Okay. Awesome. So just going to read this one. So hi again, finally reaching out about something I've been thinking about for the last eight months after I missed my first period ever, right before Black Canyon my coach, Jenny Q, and I begin to watch for other symptoms. I have not missed one again. Those, um, so sometimes I have an irregular cycle. So fast forward to this morning, a friend and I were running and talking about periods because it's insane when you suddenly end up on the exact same cycle as your training partner. And we were talking about how hard it is at 40 something years old to figure out the difference between normal peri- perimenopause symptoms and cycle deviations from red S. So they require similar but often different management strategies for symptoms. So yes, sleep is good no matter what, as is good fueling. But how do we know when to worry about missed periods? I remembered you saying recently you want to dive into some more menopause talk, and I'm hoping you can address this as well. Thanks for being amazing as always. <laughs> this is yeah, this is a really a good, good question. One. Yeah. 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 And I think like, there's no, you know, there's no written rule that says like, this is for sure perimenopause and this is for sure red S that's going to be something you can do at home and figure out for yourself. And so, you know, menopause can be as early as in your thirties and it can also start in your fifties. And so as someone who's in their forties, it's, it's likely that you could be going through perimenopause, but it's also likely that you're not. And so 
I would say like in my mind, the first thing to do is just continue to track your cycle very vigilantly and write down any symptoms that you're, you're experiencing because your physician will want to know that too. And I think some of those symptoms will, will help them be able to differentiate between something like red S or perimenopause. And so, you know, think about how you're feeling at night, think about hot flashes, think about how your energy is feeling, think about all of these things and just continue to write them down alongside your cycle. And then, you know, when you are training for a race and maybe you're noticing that your cycle always goes away before a really big race or during a really big training block, if that's always when it's, when it's late or irregular, then I think, you know, that's a little bit more evidence to think that it could potentially be related to red S. Um, but I'd say like, you know, continue to track it. I would schedule a, like an appointment with your PCP and just really, you know, talk to them about it and see what they're thinking. Blood tests will always help as well. And then again, just continue to diligently track it because this space is, is nuanced and also understudied. And so no one's going to be able to tell you like 100% definitively that this is exactly where you're at right this day. And so just gathering a lot of data to bring with you to your doctor to really have a better discussion around it, I think will be really helpful. Um, and then, yeah, just, just continue to monitor those symptoms and like writing down exactly like how you're feeling, how your training's going and all these symptoms in relation to your cycle days, I think will be really helpful. Yeah. I think the other thing, the other possible person to add to your team there outside of your PCP is also like a, a registered dietitian who works mm -hmm. with athletes, endurance athletes, and maybe even specifically with women, um, or women who are going through perimenopause and menopause, um, just because they'll have some kind of. The one they have a lot of experience evaluating this and looking for it. Um, so they might have some, even if just even if it's just anecdotal uh, evidence to point you in one direction or another. People do, you know, when you work in kind of a subspecialty, develop some really good insight and tells. You know, it's like it's kind of uncanny how many stress fractures I can diagnose just from like talking to an athlete on a phone, um, even though I'm not a PT mm. or an orthopedic um, mm. physician, for example. Like it's just like. Ooh, I've heard that story before. I really think that you need to get an MRI. Except it's like it's you begin to pick up on on trends and patterns. And so um working with a an RD potentially would be a another move if, if this person is not at least yet working with someone in that space. Mm -hmm. They'll be to help like evaluate the red S side of things in particular. Mm -hmm. And then might have some tips and tricks if you are in fact in perimenopause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And be yeah. like, oh, actually your fueling does seem like it could be a little bit under what you need. And so maybe we do need to like nuance and increase that a little bit. Yeah. Or targeting protein for very specific timing, which we do know like has a great impact on women, particularly when they're like fully, like fully in a menopausal phase. So, but yeah, that's, it's definitely a topic that we are learning more about. And we will again, at some point in time, do another kind of deep dive conversation, hopefully with an expert in the field, just to kind of continue to bring some of that newer information to the forefront. So bear, bear with us or wait for us. Um, Cause we hope to have that coming down the pipeline. And then the last one was um, a write-in from a listener, which is kind of cool to see um, from a listener named Ashley and says, hi team, I've been listening to your pods since the beginning. Thanks for doing what you do. Back on one of the early pods, I remember Corinne talking about big, scary goals. I ran, ironically, my big, scary goal for a chunk of the years has been to cover a route that Corinne has um, has so impressively set the FKT on, that being the, the Tahoe Rim Trail. Um, I had thought I maybe had a chance of getting all the way around the TRT and possibly getting towards that FKT um, 
back with the old time. I think that's like with Chrissy Mobile's time is my guess, um, previous to the one that I ran. And then after Corinne's run, I had thought it was completely out of reach. But after listening to your pod episodes, talking about how to go for goals and that it's okay to come up short, I have gotten up the confidence to give it a try. So this Saturday, this was, she wrote this back to us on September 4th. I will set out to cover the TRT as quickly as my body allows, whether I get close to Corinne's time, come up super short, or don't even make it all the way around. I'll be proud of myself for trying. Thank you for elevating women in running and the idea that failure is okay. Time to shoot my shot. Mm -hmm. Love, Ashley. And we do know that she went out and attempted it on, I think, September 11th that weekend and did come up short. It sounded like things went a little off the rails after about 80 or 90 miles and eventually pulled the plug at, I think, 107 miles in, which is a lot of miles. The route's 171 miles. So she made a really good go of it. So Ashley, congratulations. You're right. Failure is okay. And I know that you'll get back out on a big, long trail soon as well. But yeah, you're right. Big, scary goals, I think, are good for all of us. And we're going to keep practicing what we preach, hopefully, and continue to go after big, scary goals. So I think that's it for this week. Um, it was so nice. I mean, hopefully you didn't hate our vocab and our, our our Trail 101. If you have any vocab suggestions or Trail 101 topic suggestions that you'd like us to cover, please don't hesitate to slide into our DMs. Head over to the Trail Society Instagram channel and slide into our DMs there as well. Um, and until next time, we'll see you on the trails. Bye.